there's this whole other element to the promotional activity, if you will, to what God does with someone who's faithful, with someone who goes, God, I don't, I don't have any expectation. I don't need anything from this. Like I, I'm content in you knowing and seeing me and loving me in my obscurity. But if this is something that you're calling me to do, I will do it and I will trust you with the results. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. As a lifelong music fan, I found I constantly go back to the music I grew up listening to. I really like the music that was made by musicians who play real instruments, and I've been known to say that I don't really enjoy music that was made on a computer. <laughs> As a result, I must admit that there is a lot of new music by newer artists that I don't ever listen to. I just haven't explored beyond the comfort zone of my favorite music. You'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with John Thompson about listening to better music and learning how to listen to music better. As a result of that challenge, I've discovered some new music that I really resonate with, and today's guest is one of those artists that I've discovered by expanding my musical palette. Today I'm talking with Mariah Smallbone, who released a couple of albums on Reunion Records about a decade ago. But she's just released a new album, and we got to talk about that today, and I found Mariah to be incredibly thoughtful and I'm really eager for you to hear this conversation. We'll get to our conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to tell you about the Rohingya people of South Asia. For over 40 years, these people have faced discrimination, violence, and persecution. So much so that in 2017, a mass exodus of Rohingya citizens started with them fleeing their country for their lives and for their safety. And a lot of these people are ending up in Bangladesh and some of the surrounding countries. To make matters worse, in March 2021, there was a devastating fire in one of these large Rohingya refugee camps. Thousands of homes were destroyed, hundreds of children separated from their families, and hundreds more injured or dead. Now, this is all devastating and hard news to hear, but the reason I'm telling you this is because Mercy Inc. and their partners have been working in the Rohingya refugee camp to bring relief and hope. They are also sharing the good news of Jesus to anyone who's willing to listen. And I'd encourage you to jump on board and see how you can help. To learn more about how you can support Mercy Inc. and more specifically how to pray for the Rohingya refugees, visit christianmusicarchive.com mercy. There you can click on the Rohingya link to see how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to these hurting and displaced people. That's christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy. Well, today I'm welcoming Mariah Smallbone to the podcast. Mariah has just released her third EP called Live from the Quarry. Now, I say third EP, first ones were albums, but she wrote this one, performed it, and produced it. 
I mean, we're talking about the trifecta here. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, but she's also a recording artist. In addition to that, she's an actress. She's a podcast host with her husband, Joel Smallbone. So we've got a lot to talk about. So welcome to the podcast with me, Mariah Smallbone. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, how are we going to fit? How are we going to fit it all? How are we going to talk about all? Well, the I have about sixteen things? pages of questions. So oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Well, for listeners who aren't yet familiar with you, let's take a quick step back because um, this album is listed under Mariah, but before that, mm -hmm. you performed as Mariah Peters. Let's talk about kind of how you got your, your start in music, how you got signed to Reunion, and how you got this as a career. Yeah, I should start by saying I, I didn't know it was possible for it to be a career. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, I I had always sung, you know, for fun and at my church and written little songs, you know, about jumping in a pool, you know, ever since I was a kid and mm -hmm. could pick up a guitar and write in a notebook. Um, to this day, I, I feel, I, I don't quite feel fully authentic when I say that it's a career um, mm -hmm. because I was so in the headspace of pursuing a career, a career in law, most likely. Um, I, I just, there, it's so drastically different. You know, there's things that, that are similar. Like it's, it's still, I still look at this as a, um, structured commitment, right? Mm -hmm. Like a nine to five. I, I, I'm pretty disciplined in setting apart my time when I'm songwriting and producing, um, and singing versus, being at home and resting. So yeah. I, I like to have the distinction, but I still feel like career doesn't quite capture the complexity of what it is to be a recording artist, particularly now when we have so much autonomy. Yeah, It feels more like, um, I hate to use the word calling, but it, it, it feels um, a little bit more ethereal than, okay. than a traditional career, okay. you know? Well, and it's kind of, you know, especially with the pandemic and everything locking us down and you're doing it all by yourself, hmm. it is a lot more of that kind of one person doing all this stuff with some of your close friends. But how did you get noticed? Because your first album was on Reunion Records, right? How did you get noticed mm -hmm. by Reunion? I mean, if you're if this wasn't a quote-unquote career calling. Right, right. If I'm like not on a career path, I'm not, <laughs> like I didn't get set up with my academic advisor to find out how to get to Nashville. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I auditioned for American Idol is the short answer. Okay. I auditioned when I was 16. And um, through that auditioning process, met a ton of incredible people and one of the families I met through that process, um, their last name is Green. So the Green family. Okay. And so Brian and Wendy, oh, okay. they brought me out to Nashville. They let me stay in their home. They fed me. Very cool. <laughs> they taught me um, just a little bit about the opportunities here in Nashville to, to pursue music. And they set me up you know, on songwriting sessions and helped me record some of my original songs, Very introduced cool. me to managers and, and ultimately introduced me to my label. So, um, 
and even my husband. So oh. I have <laughs> I have to like a lot to owe the Green family. I'm actually going to see them this weekend, so oh, I'm really fun. excited. <laughs> yeah, Brian and Wendy are are very active. Uh, they do mostly more worship and Southern Gospel stuff, if I remember right. Yeah. So Wendy was in a band called Sierra. Right. Okay. And, right. 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 And Brian. Um, he was the music director for Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, and he, he recently passed, which was oh, really, I don't right. know if you knew that or not, but he, yeah, unexpectedly. um, it was, it was really, it was recent. It was unexpected. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, I, I, I've been, I've been kind of like wrestling through a lot of these moments in these memories mm. because they're the whole Brian yeah. is so integrated into all of them yeah. that I've actually been living in my history a little bit recently just because yeah. I've been thinking about how how they so loved on me as a couple and particularly how Brian loved on my husband and when Joel and I first met like Joel would call Brian and be like, am I crazy? Like, does she care? Does she think I'm weird? You know, and Brian would kind of always talk them off the cliff. Yeah. Brian was so even killed and even tempered um, and such a rock. So it's it's actually, I think, in, in just thinking about my history here and in thinking about how I got to this place that yeah. I'm at right now, it, it was all by the hand of generous people. So people coming and seeing something in me that I did not yet see for myself, investing in me, believing in me, letting me live in their basements, you know, like letting me be a part of their family. And um, I would say that Brian and Wendy were at the top of the list as far as people who were generous and opened the door for me. Well, and, and I would venture to guess that it's not just the providence of friends and acquaintances, but that it's also, you use the word calling, something that mm. the Lord is kind of saying, hey, you know, this is where I want you to be right now. Let's talk a little bit about your spiritual journey. How did you become a, a personal following Jesus personally? And how does that then bubble out into who you are today? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think where that really comes into play is like when we hit those crossroads in life, when we're at that fork, when we're like, do I marry the guy? Do I not marry the guy? Do I stay in California? Do I move to Tennessee? Do I, um, you know, step into this job? Do I step into that job? Like, I think we, when we're in those moments of either, just a fork in the road or like crisis, you know, do I stay in this abusive relationship? Do I leave? Like when we are faced with the extremes of decisions that will most likely shape the rest of our lives. um, I think a lot of us tend to look for something outside of just our logic and our rationale, because if you're anything like me, like you can make all the lists, you can come up with all the reasons why it's, good to go this direction or good to go that direction. But there does come a point where it's like pretty even unless, again, unless you're in a crisis, like, you know, I, I could go this route, I could go that route. And that's when prayer really, I think starts to mean something more than just dear God, help me with, you know, it's like, God, like if I want to live a life 
that is surrendered to your plan, if I really believe that you know something more than I do, like, (laughs) then, then where are you leading? And, and, and so I think when, when you start to live out of that framework of wanting to find the path that God has for you, that destiny, so to speak, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that you're looking for a perfect life or that you're looking for, uh, the most, thrilling, spectacular life, but you're looking for a life that is going to be significant and that's going to count for something and that's going to serve other people and not just live for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, you know, we can talk about what what we believe and when we believe it and when do you say that you're a Christian and when do you get baptized in the ocean? And, you know, there's, there's all these different moments that I think they're they're monuments, you know. They're they're altars. They're these 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 memories yeah. that you have in your life of like, wow, okay, little baby steps and and progress. Um, or this really diverted my path. Mm-hmm. But but I think when we step back and we are daily surrendering to something and someone greater than ourselves, to me, that's Christian living. Yeah. There are days when I do that, and there are days when I don't. Um, the The effort is there. Uh, the execution isn't always, um, and and that's I think that's the beauty of this whole concept of grace and Jesus is like we. It's not like you make a decision and then you're like set for the rest of your right, life. It's like right. every single day is a choice to live either for ourselves or for others. And I love that aspect of, of what we believe because it makes every day new, every day fresh, every day filled with different possibilities. Well, I like the words you said, you said we have markers, you know, like the baptizing Mm. in the ocean or this, this Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm. And I've, I've been reading a lot in the old Testament lately about how the People of Israel would set up rock formations, altars yeah. at different places, yeah. and the Bible says, mm-hmm. and they're still there to this day, as a reminder for us to go back and look mm-hmm. on and say, oh yeah, when I was down, there was that, or when I was having a yes. great time, there was that. And I appreciate mm-hmm. those reminders. Sometimes we mm-hmm. get so caught up in the day-to-day that we miss mm-hmm. that. So yeah, yeah. thanks for reminding us of this. Well, as we were preparing for this, you had a quote in your bio that I just loved. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe this would kind of foray us into the talk about the album. You said, nothing can fix a broken heart more than knowing that it's loved, that it's seen, and that its pain is felt. And then you said, mm-hmm. now that I feel this more deeply than ever before, I can create from a place of rest. Mm-hmm. Rest does not to me, come out of pain and some of that other stuff. Talk a little bit about that and how that, um, you know, created the album that you just released. I don't think we would like to believe that rest can come out of pain, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it often takes that, especially for those of us who are very um, goal-oriented and high achievers. You know, we, we like to accomplish. We like to tackle each day versus mm-hmm. experience it. And I think the very valuable lesson I learned from 2019, you know, to present day mm-hmm. um, and COVID obviously being sandwiched in the middle of there, I think definitely expedited the 
absorption process, okay. if you will, for, for me and for a lot of people. But I think the lesson that I have been needing to learn for a while and am continuing to learn is that suffering and sorrow can be great friends. Mm. And when you sit at the table with rejection and obscurity for long enough to actually you know, have them be guests in your house, <laughs> yeah. then, then I think there's a lot of beauty that can come from that. Rest can come from that. Contentment can come from that. Hmm. Humility can come from that. Um, an awareness of our own imperfections and our own flaws can come from that. And the more self-aware we can be, you know, I think the better friends we can be, the better mm. wife I can be, the better yeah. daughter I can be. Um, so I, I mean, all of that sounds very heady and like thirty thousand foot view. Getting down to the granular, I was kind just going to ask, realistic yeah. part of it. It's <laughs> like, okay, end of twenty nineteen, I had a massive heartbreak. Like I, I didn't know that you could experience that kind of heartbreak outside of a romantic relationship, mm, right? Mm -hmm. Like I figured, you know, only my husband has permission to hurt me <laughs> as deeply yeah. and to wound me in that way. You know, I, I feel like he's the only person I've let into the recesses of, of my mm, heart in yeah. that way. But, um, I mean, we're all, none of us are, are, um, invincible and incapable of experiencing heartbreak. And sometimes that happens in family. Mm. Sometimes that happens in friendships. Sometimes that happens with work. And when I, when I, towards the end of 2019, experienced that kind of heartbreak, um, I was just I, I went into a very low place, you know, the kinds of places that my friends would tell me about that I'm just like, come on, like yeah. go for a walk, pull yourself <laughs> out of it, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. I didn't want to eat. I cried every day. I felt like there was no hope, you know, no, no light at the end of the tunnel. And, and sometimes we get to those points and sometimes there's nothing that can pull us out of it seemingly for a time. Yeah. And that's when I think it's important to learn in the valley, the lessons that we can only learn in the valley. So like not trying to fight it, but like, I mean, I stayed in it. I just, I cried. I was lonely. I was sad. And I, I did try to force myself to go for walks, <laughs> which didn't help. I thought it would. Yeah. Um, but in, in that season, um, you know, speaking to my mentors, speaking to trusted friends. I mean, I flew all the way to California to go be with my friend that I've been closest with since freshman year of high school because uh -huh. I just needed a safe place. Yeah. And, um, you know, therapy, counselors, all, all the things and exercise and force myself to eat, all the things. But what I had not yet tried or considered once I got into the top of 2020 and I'm like, gosh, this funk is not going away. Yeah. Like I, I can't, I can't will myself out of it. And I, I'm tired of being here yeah. <laughs> was music. I had never looked to music as therapy. I'd never looked to songwriting as therapy. You know, I'd always seen it as this is, a gift I've been given that I need to package and give away to other people. And I think that's a huge part of, of art is, is giving it away. Um, but sometimes we need our art to transform us mm. first and foremost. Yeah. And so 
I really dove into what that looked like. And for me, that was going up to a cabin in Tennessee and being by myself. And originally, I was just going to take a guitar and my phone and my notebook, but my husband packed to the back of my car (laughs) with a bunch of recording gear and speakers and a mobile studio and was like, you need to produce. Like, don't just Mm. write, like, go produce these demos. You know what you hear went up there and it felt like I was just taking my very honest conversations with God, my very honest questions of him (laughs) and, and putting them into melody, putting them into song, you know, adding rhythm. And, and that was so healing to come out of that trip. Um, and then to continue it once I got back home but to come out of that with songs where I literally am hearing myself process Mm -hmm. out loud, you know, reach revelations out loud in a song and it's being sung back to me and hearing, I don't know. I think there's something about hearing your own voice, speaking truths. Like I know, like I have friends who record, you know, scriptures and affirmations on their phones and they like, you know, play it back to themselves. And I always thought that was a little bit woo woo, but now that I've like done that (laughs) and, and done it through song, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. The power of the voice of our own voice to our own minds. And I never had any intention of releasing any of this music. I've been working so hard to find a moment's peace. Breaking walls to earn it Getting no relief I thought I wanted answers I thought I wanted healing But what I need most Is to be known, seen, loved I thought I wanted justice I thought I wanted power But what I need most Is to be known
Well, you've got songs like Known, Seen, Loved. You've got song a uh, song called Worth. What has it been like for you to now see these songs in the public and realize these are the songs, the, the salve for my soul, if you will. Mm. And mm. then all of a sudden you're hearing people say, oh my gosh, that that's touching me too. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. What is that like to, to realize that this very personal, mm. intimate conversation with God is now being personal and intimate with people who are in dark spaces? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I have like a really concise, wonderful answer for you because I'm still I'm still experiencing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know, I'm still in the midst of, like I got a message from a really sweet woman last night that I read to my team today on our, our team call. Um, her mom tried to take her own life oh. and she was in the hospital um, with some issues because she had she had not succeeded, thank God. Mm-hmm. And um, her daughter played Worth for her, the third release off of the Live from the Quarry EP. And the nurses called the daughter back and was like, hey, your mom is like screaming this song out like her wow. anthem and she's been singing it all day. <laughs> and she, I mean, she was kind enough to share this experience and this story with me. I know that there's only a small window that we get to see that we're allowed mm. to see of how art impacts other people. And when it happens in the doses that it does, when we're in a healthy place, it's just a reminder that we are a very small part of a great big world. And we try as we may, we'll never know the full impact of what God can do, what God does through mm. our art. Yeah. I didn't I didn't plan for this young woman to hear this song. I didn't right. plan for it her to play it for her mom. Like it just happened. And yeah. there's there's so much we can do to try to manufacture our songs being put in front of people or mm. our art to be seen or people to hear our podcasts, but there's this there's this whole other element to the promotional activity, if you will, to mm. what happens with with what God does with someone who's faithful, yeah. with someone who goes, God, I don't I don't have any expectation. I don't need anything from this. Like I I'm content in you knowing and seeing me and loving me in my obscurity. But if this is something that you're calling me to do, I will do it. Yeah. And I will trust you with the results. Um and from that point, it's like everything's just mind-boggling, you know? <laughs> like you read stories like that and you're like, what are we doing? How yeah. do we get to witness this kind of stuff? It's amazing. Well, I think it's important for our listeners to understand because uh, like I'm not a, a musician artist like you are uh, or like, you know, poets or painters or some of that kind of thing. But that very same principle holds to us with our gifts and abilities mm-hmm. and skills. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to realize that, yes, God has a part for us in the big painting of, of that mm-hmm. he's doing. Mm-hmm. Be faithful with the things that I've given you, and you'll be surprised. And like, you know, you hear it all the time. You'll, uh, I think, uh, who was it that said did the song, When I Get to Heaven, uh, all these people came to me, thank you for being a friend. You know, mm-hmm. because oh, of you, I'm here. Yeah, because of you, mm-hmm. a child was saved. 
So I, I like that statement that you said that just be faithful with what you have, whether it's writing, mm-hmm. painting, plumbing, accounting, whatever it is, mm-hmm, and you have mm-hmm. no clue what it's going to do to impact people. Agreed. I, here, appreci- here. I appreciate your reminding mm-hmm. us of that. Mm-hmm. Well, one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and we may not really have time to do this, but uh, you've been very outspoken about the need for diversity in Christian music. And you've talked about that from working with women, uh, mm-hmm. you're a Mexican-American heritage. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about why that's so important to you that we need to step up to the plate and be more diverse in our Christian music. It's so simple to me. We can't be what we can't see. Mm. And living in a visual culture and era, I wish we were completely motivated by faith, but sometimes we need that visual representation to know that we are welcome in certain spaces, you know. Mm. I don't know. I think there's plenty of theology um, that you can get into. And I, you know, anyone listening, I would encourage you to read read a book or go to a class. I mean, some of the classes that I've taken, even just offered by my church on diversity, um, have been really shaping and have sort of like just opened my eyes to very specific and intentional ways that we can do life with people who are different from us. And, you know, I think it's easy to hear the word diversity and to hear all of the stereotypes that come Mm -hmm. along with that. But the bottom line is the church should be the most diverse place on the planet because how else do you represent that there is a power greater than people's differences. You know, if you're if you're in a monolithic setting, yeah. it's not that challenging to do life with people who think like you and look like you and vote like you. Like it's it's and there's places for that and there's times for that. There's times to be in your culture and your community. I mean, there are moments where I'm like, I just need to fly to freaking El Paso and go eat tamales <laughs> for a week. Like I can't deal with this. Yeah. I need to be with people who get me, you yeah. know? Um, but then there are also moments where it's important to step into spaces where you're the only one. You know, I didn't fully understand what that felt like until I moved to Tennessee. Hmm. You know, growing up in Southern California, it, it was incredibly diverse. It, I saw men and women of all different backgrounds in every kind of job and every kind of leadership role all around me. I never grew up thinking, well, I can't do that. Or there's, there was always someone who, who was holding the door open for me in, mm-hmm. in, you know, whatever space. And there was never a moment where I felt like, well, I'm a girl, so I can't, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think stepping into male-dominated industries and stepping into a culture where it's not as mixed and integrated, um, yeah, I've definitely had moments as an adult where I've had to go, oh, like I I didn't realize I was the only brown Mm. person in the room. Thank you for reminding me, (laughs) you know, Um, but that's that's just part of my heart and my – what motivates my husband and I to um, continue to look for community, to continue to foster community in, in in our world, and to lean on the grace that God has available for all of us mm-hmm. to 
to humble ourselves and, and surround ourselves with people who are different. And I think that the music side of things and like things looking colorful and mixed and diverse with, with whatever I produce is just a natural consequence and a natural mm -hmm. reflection because as artists, we project our worlds. We project mm -hmm. the world that we live in. And one of the first interviews I did for the live from, from the Corey project, um, it caught me really off guard, but this, this guy asked almost a similar question of like, so it's so cool that you went out of your way to like put together a diverse cast for your, your life from the core EP. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. I just mm. text my friends, you know, I yeah. just text them being like, Hey, can you come be a part of this? Because we, we already naturally aim to do life with people who are different than us. And, and sometimes that takes more effort depending on what stage of life you are and where you live. Like sometimes you have to try, you have to mm. try really hard yeah. to um, put yourself in those places. Sometimes it's, a natural part of where you live. But I just don't think that it, it hurts us to be with people who are different. I think it only helps us yeah. when we get to sit with and do life with people who think differently. And, and I, I think it breeds empathy. I think it breeds humility. I think it breeds um, integration and health and, and you get to see different sides of, of God, you know, it's yeah. like God is not two dimensional there. We'll never see all the facets of who he is. And yes. the times where I've learned the most surprising things about what I feel like are, are, our aspects and facets to God have been when I've been in a different culture, a different country, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, a different, a different people group. So yeah, I think diversity is good, not just for art, but just for our everyday living. I like the phrase that you said, do life with, it's not reading about it here. It's not posting about it on mm -hmm. social media, whatever. It's, it's that interaction along beside with, Mm -hmm. I did an interview with Linda Randall, and she said, the best thing that we can do to help with diversity is to invite people who look, act, work differently than we do to sit down to a meal. Because once Amen. you do that, you're starting to get that diversity and you're starting to have, well, what do you talk about? Well, the potatoes are good. Now what? You know? <laughs> yes. But to really sit yes. and be with and live with. I love that. I love that phrase. So thank you for sharing that. Every Saturday, we send out a prayer newsletter to a bunch mm -hmm. of people who have committed to praying for artists and musicians. How can we specifically oh be praying gosh. for you in the days and weeks Dave, ahead? That is the sweetest. Oh my gosh. To everyone who prays for artists, yeah. what, a, what a precious and powerful thing. Oh my goodness. Oh, where would I be without the prayers of my mother? I mean, that's just the truth. We need prayers to get us through. I would say, pray for my ego. Pray that my ego would be checked at the door every day and that it would not have its way in seeking selfish ambition and that it would be quieted within me so that I can focus most on the needs of other people. Wow, there's a lot of good stuff in that conversation with Mariah today, wasn't there? 
I'm especially drawn to Mariah's comments about being faithful with the gifts and experiences God puts us through and learning to trust him for the results. My mind goes to a story of a little boy in the Bible. Now, he's only referenced in six words. There is a young boy here. But I can picture this boy getting ready to head out for the day to play at the Sea of Galilee. You know how young boys are, eager to play in the mud, throw sticks in the water, and, you know, all the things that boys do. But he also has an appetite. So before he headed out for the day, he raided the kitchen and crammed a couple of fish and some bread into his backpack. Much to his surprise, when he gets to the beach, there's already a ton of people already there. In fact, the Bible says there is a crowd of at least 5,000 men, and they were all listening to this guy up there talking. I kind of picture this kid sitting down to look at the spectacle, and he pulls out his sack lunch when, out of nowhere, a guy grabs his arm and drags him to a small crowd of men surrounding Jesus. It turns out no one had thought about bringing any food when they set out to find Jesus that day. And this young boy, well, he was the only one that had anything to eat. In John 16, verse 9, it says that Andrew told Jesus, quote, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Well, Jesus took that food and fed the crowd with it. I really wish John had focused more on the interaction between Jesus and that young boy. You know, Jesus had an affinity for kids, and you'll remember in Luke 18, verse 16, Jesus says, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I seriously doubt that Jesus snatched the kids' food away from him and just went out and fed the crowd. I'll bet there was a personal interaction there. I can picture Jesus getting down on his knees so that he was at the boy's level and see him interacting with the boy, maybe even congratulating him for thinking ahead about his food for the day at the beach. But the bottom line is that Jesus used what this young boy had to do something absolutely amazing, so amazing that he will be forever known to the world through those six little words, there is a young boy here. What kinds of gifts do you and I have? Are we using them in the ways God can use them? Or are we protecting them for our own personal gain? This young boy could have run off with his sack lunch and never shared it with Andrew. He could have seen the crowd messing up his day at the beach and opted to go play somewhere else. But he didn't. He offered up what he had so that Jesus could do something amazing. Mariah shared her similar story of the personal songs that ministered to her in her time of sadness and depression but she offered them to the Lord to use as he saw fit. And now those songs have ministered to a lady in the hospital who tried to commit suicide, and I'm sure they're ministering to other people as well. And that is so beautiful. God uses the brokenness of our experience, the weakness that we are living through, to make something beautiful that can change the lives of the people around us. I want to be sure and thank Mariah for the permission to share her song, Known, Seen, Loved, today on the podcast. That song is from her new album, Live from the Quarry, which is available now wherever you get your music. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at 
CCM Exchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. 